Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you are new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I have become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. Today, we're finishing our Family of Frontline Heroes series, where I get the chance to speak with spouses and adult children of frontline helpers who will be sharing about their experiences, the challenges that they've faced, the joys associated with supporting someone on the front lines, and the needs they see for both frontline helpers and the families that love them. My hope is that all of you listening will also encourage your family members to listen in and connect more together around how the job is served, not only by you, but also by your loved ones vicariously. And I hope that offers opportunities to open new conversations around what's cool, what's hard, and how you might support one another in the midst of it. I am so excited to share my conversation with Jackie Brandhurst and Kathy Kintrell with all of you today. You might remember that back last summer, 2022, I interviewed a bunch of amazing helping professionals, and among them was Mike Kentrell, a career prison officer and the host of the Prison Officer podcast. During that conversation, he shared with me about his amazing daughter who had done graduate level research on corrections work, and I have been looking forward to finding a way to get her on the show ever since. When I started working on this series, I knew I needed to talk to Jackie, and also reached out to Mike's amazing wife who he spoke so highly of during our interview last year. Today, I get to share both of them with you, and I have to tell you, this was one of my favorite interviews yet. Dr. Brandhurst is an Associate Professor of Management and the Director of the Integrative Business Experience at the University of Central Missouri. She teaches courses in business communication, management communication, management of organizations, and strategic organizational communication. She specializes in organizational communication, employee well-being, and gender and professional identity in workplace contexts. Her research has been published in prestigious journals, including Nonprofit Leadership and Management, Gender, Work, and Organization, Human Resources Development Review, the Journal of Applied Communication Research, and the Journal of Management Education. She's a member of the National Communication Association and serves on the editorial board for the Journal of Women and Gender in Higher Education. 
Kathy Cantrell served as a stay-at-home mom and support system to her family for 30 years. She walked the journey of living alongside a career corrections officer while raising kids and navigating all of the challenges of family life. There is so much good stuff in this one. You guys, let's get started. All right. Well, welcome, you guys, Jackie and Kathy. I'm so delighted to have you here with me, and I'm really excited to get to have this conversation, especially after getting to know a little bit about your hubby and dad that we got to meet last summer. Cool. We're glad to be here. Yes. Yeah. Well, I and I, I I should have done this before I started talking and I didn't. I should have my my little list of questions nearby. Um, but as always, I really just love starting with getting to know a little bit about each of you because while yes, you are um wife and daughter of um a certain corrections officer who came on our show last year. Um you're also like amazing people. Oh, so I wow. would love to just hear a little bit about each of you. Cool. Jackie, you've got more of a resume than I do. (laughs) Jackie, share the credentials. That's where we're going to start. There you go. All right. (laughs) Not true, but I will happily start. Um, (laughs) So I am an associate professor of management, actually, at the University of Central Missouri. So I am a professor. I teach classes in management and communication and organizational strategy and communication. And so my doctorate actually is in communication, and I was hired in to a business school to teach courses that are focused in on employee and manager communication. And I'm sure we'll get to this, but I very much sort of ended up in the career that I am and doing the research that I'm doing because of dad. (laughs) So I'm sure we're going to have some time to talk about that, but it's a big part of kind of who I am and who I've become in the kind of research that I do. But um, let's see what else about me. I am married. So I, I have a husband, his name's Jeff, and we live in the Kansas City area. So uh, okay. yeah, I'm, that's kind of a little bit about a little bit about me. Lovely. Thanks, Jackie. And how about you, Kathy? Well, I don't really have that exciting of a resume, but right now we are currently retired. We've been retired about two years. I was a stay-at-home mom for about, oh, 20 years. I worked prior to that for about 20 years. So my uh, job uh, resume has been quite a while back, but we have a great family. We're proud of our family and uh, things get better as you get older. (laughs) You get more clarity, <laughs> hopefully. Oh, thanks for that promise it is. for the future. Because I mean, for sure, I feel like I'm in that period of life where there's very little clarity and just a lot of chaos. Uh- <laughs> it is. It's tough. It, it, it seems like it's with all this social media. I mean, I got to raise my kids. I'm thankful right at the beginning of this explosion of all this social media and yeah. all this uh, negativity, unfortunately, that is in not only corrections and policemen, but in every, I mean, every occupation. Yeah. And that's sad to see for me. So absolutely. Well, and while you may not come in with the like workplace resume, I think you come in with a very different kind of resume that has a ton of value here. 
And that's this piece of being someone who's partnered with and journeyed alongside someone in this kind of work. And I think that's a very unique vantage point um, because it's, it's a hard road. And I think with some of the divorce rates, especially that we see in law enforcement and other first response workplaces, it ain't easy. No. So there's like, I mean, I think it says something pretty extraordinary that all of this time later, you have survived all of that. I think that's a resume in and of itself. I really don't have a specific answer. I wish I could say, you know, do this, don't do that. You have to kind of, um, I had a partner that was willing to work with me and I feel like I gave and he gave and we very early on decided what direction we wanted our family to go. And by the grace of God Mm -hmm. and luck and sheer perseverance, you know, we got through it. Was it always easy? No, it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) True. It is true. Yeah. You have to. Well, I mean, if you told me it was always easy, I'd call you out as a liar. I think we'd be ending this real quick. So I like, I believe you. I don't think it's ever easy. You have to just, uh, we were taught, we talk a lot about our life together because he does the podcast and he's very passionate about getting knowledge out there to help people navigate through this career that they've chosen and uh, trying to make it more honorable, trying to bring some honor and some, uh, I don't know how exactly to say this, you know, people so much look down upon them like, oh, well, you're, what are you, a guard? You know, what do you do all day? And if they only knew, and I don't think that helps. And we're trying, especially Michael, to change that perception of how people look at not only your police and firefighters, EMT, but your corrections also. So that's about it. We've got a lot of stories. I think of the first responder groups that we have in our audience, I think corrections officers are um, among the harder up. Like everyone else, I think, gets their fair share of attention. Um, in recognizing the toll and the cost, recognizing the sacrifice, um, recognizing kind of the involvement, like we see them on TV, Mm -hmm. right? Like we get a bit of a sense of like, I mean, we know it's not real. We know that like nurses don't really live like that and whatever, (laughs) but but we get a bit of a vibe for it, right? Like the pace of it and the demands and like the weird things that could happen on a call and whatever. There aren't a lot of great shows about the prison system other than like prison break. And that's all from the perspective of the prisoners escaping. Like, I don't think it gives a very solid uh, exposure to this thing that as a society, we've really tried to hide because it's, it's the part we'd like to pretend doesn't exist, right? Like we'd like to pretend that bad people and bad choices and criminals. And like, we just want to push that out to the edge of society and ignore it. And as a result of that, we have this whole occupational group that we've shoved out there along with with them them and said, good luck to you, but we don't want to hear about it. It's true. It's very much true. Um, And we're all responsible for that. I had a really eye-opening experience this last summer when you, you, I thought I knew everything there was to know about the process of going to jail, blah, 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 and all of this. 
living it. I mean, we've been in jail forever. I we I make that joke. We've been in jail forever since we were very young. <laughs> and I we like yeah. to fantasize what would our life have been like if we hadn't chosen this pathway. So I sat on a grand jury and I'd never done anything like this before. And when I saw the process that was involved, it just shocked me. And I'm like, wow. And, you know, you you hear people say, and I've been guilty of it myself, well, just put them in jail. You know, just put them in jail. Well, I have learned these people don't just go away. You know, they may disappear, but they're, they haven't gone away. Somebody has to care for them. Somebody has to provide and all the things that go with that. As a society, we're all responsible for that. We, we vote the people in, you make the laws, and, you know, till everyone realizes that I play a role in this, what is happening in our society, then I don't think we're going to really see any meaningful change come about. So that's kind of what I eye-opening that happened to me this last year or so. <laughs> and I know I kind of get on the soapbox, but I really thought I really knew more than I did. <laughs> and it shocked me. <laughs> I mean, I think you're very invited to the soapbox. Um, yeah. Because I think we need people that are willing to take the stand on the soapbox and say, hey, even I thought I knew and I didn't yeah. know. Yeah. Right? And like how powerful is that to say, you know, I've been, you know, an associate to this thing for, you know, how many decades and I didn't know. And so how much more do we need that information to be accessible for us to be making good choices and conscientious choices as a society about this subgroup of our population? Yes. I'm curious, Kathy, and and it's a question that I feel like I'm going to ask you. I'm not going to ask Jackie because she didn't get a vote. So um, when you... You talked about this piece of like, we were really young when we got in jail, right? Mm -hmm. Like this was like a choice you guys made together early in your relationship is my impression, right? Correct. What did you think that was going to be like when you guys made that decision together? We didn't think about it. And we were, I know, (laughs) young. That's the answer. (laughs) And it was an opportunity. And there's so much opportunity out here now for everybody. They kind of look at you quizzically when you say it was an opportunity. Uh, It was just a good opportunity for us. So we went with it. And then once we're in it, we're like, holy cow, you know, huge improvement in pay, believe it or not, you know, and benefits. There was a lot of reasons we chose corrections. Now would we have done it? Who knows? And I raised my children and I was adamant about this. I said, what I want the most for you guys in your life is for you to have a choice in the direction you take your life, you know, and I feel like we were limited in that choice. I'm not necessarily bitter or sad about it. It's just what it was. And we took it. We made the best we could with it and went with it. And like I said, by the grace of God or luck or whatever, it worked out for us. And we're through it. And it looks a little better on the opposite end. <laughs> so that's what I'll say for people who are thinking. I mean, what that's I fair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I think I've heard a number of people 
um, within corrections here as well in Canada that um, that talk a lot about the like the perks of the job are pretty sweet. Yes. Right. And so at least at the time that they got in, which maybe was 10, 15, even 20 years mm-hmm. ago, um, that the pay was pretty good and the benefits are pretty solid yeah. and right. The, you know, the hours suck and the job description is not always fun, Never. <laughs> um, but there was like room to train and there's some upward mobility options and there's right. Like there are some pieces and all of that was with a relatively low requirement in terms of education and prior experience that's all true which i think is the piece that um mike and i talked about last year um in some of our interview was like that was that was a part of that was there was an the job openings were pretty easy like there wasn't a lot of high bar in terms of what you had to come in the door with exactly i think that's maybe a little bit different now um, I think that more and more they're asking for some amount of like education in law enforcement or, you know, um, that kind of thing. But at the time, it meant that people who would otherwise maybe not have the same option suddenly have this really great seeming option, but then maybe not some of the supports they needed to prepare themselves for what lived on the other side of that. Exactly. I don't think they, um, you realize it. And at the time when you are so young, you don't realize these things. And I, it took a whole course of 30 years to even learn a lot of the things that we have learned about it. I mean, we kind of gradually, and you think, wow, (laughs) what happened here? Yeah, (laughs) We've got a lot of stories we can tell and we laugh about it all now, which is good. (laughs) Keep a sense of humor there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like that's half the battle, isn't it? Definitely. Um, Okay, Jackie, how do you feel that your dad's profession shaped you and your family? So that's something I actually spend a lot of time thinking about, maybe more so than um, other children of correctional officers, because I ended up sort of pursuing a career. So I'll I'll tell you a little bit about how I feel like that happened. One of my, you know, strongest memories, I feel like when I first started talking to dad about his work, which wasn't really until high school, I didn't understand or know anything really about what he did. I knew he, yeah, I knew that he worked long hours, that he was, um, you know, gone a lot. And, when he was home, he was tired and I always kind of saw him as, um, I, and I understand him differently now. So let's get to that part, uh-huh. but it was just kind of hard and uh-huh. disconnected a little bit. And so I remember not understanding that at all. And of course I was a teenager and as we are, we get angsty about things. And so I felt right. misunderstood. Right. Yeah. So, But I remember, you know, having a conversation with him in high school, I was doing a project for a class that I was in. um, And I was interested in, you know, his work. And we were having a conversation about that. And I remember him telling me a little bit about how challenging working in 
um, his job was and how in particular mental health and, and divorce rates and, um, I mean, you can look at suicide rates and PTSD and the list goes on and on and on for the outcomes. You know this better than, than anyone on this yeah. call. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, like that's, I hadn't even thought about that. I had no idea. Here's an entire kind of population that's sort of hidden. We've already talked about that. It's invisible to the public eye when it is visible to the public eye. It's not always in a flattering light and the media depictions that we have are not great. The news articles that we see come out about corrections are not positive really. And so it just got me really interested I um, in kind of understanding it more. And I remember kind of holding on to that idea through college and starting to do some research projects. And the end of my senior year of college, I was wanting to do this project where I went into the prisons and, and interviewed correctional officers. And um, of course, my professors were like, um, this is more of like a, a master's level. That's what you want to be doing is yeah, <laughs> trying yeah. to senior year. And so um, I remember holding on again to that idea through my master's, doing a little bit of research on emotion, work, compassion, fatigue, emotional labor, and pairing it with correctional officers in particular and trying to understand the the emotional aspects of their job and even what it's like to manage a population to see violent things and how you you know, how do you bring that into your identity to who you are? How do you manage that? And what happens when you bring that home? And um, that kind of pushed me through, honestly, to to my PhD. That was my dissertation was mm-hmm. finally the project that I wanted to do, which was talking with correctional officers about their mental health, about how they talk about mental health, um, how they seek help or not don't seek help for their mental health and why. And so I really see dad's profession as kind of the starting point for who I am now for the research that I do, which is now more generalized. I told you I teach in management. So, you know, now it's more generalized to thinking about employee populations and general well-being things and resources like employee assistance programs and things like that. Um, But my heart is really, I really have a place in my heart for this population. And um, it was really, I have a a greater understanding now of dad and his profession. I remember going through that process of research and all of a sudden it was like I was able to see my dad for the first time. Like I kind of get emotional thinking about it because it was such a way of, um, it was just a way of understanding him that I never understood him before. I'd always thought, oh my goodness, like <laughs> here's this person who knows nothing about me. You know, he doesn't understand me at all. He's always grumpy. Like I'm scared of him half the time <laughs> because if dad's coming home, I'm probably in trouble about something. Right. <laughs> so, anyway, all of that is to say, mom's laughing. She's going to roll her eyes. <laughs> But it really did open up this um, this door, this pathway of understanding his profession and how it had shaped shaped him, um, oh, and Lord. how it ultimately shaped us. I mean, Mom has talked about how our entire, you know, our family has kind of been molded around this decision and every choice that you know they've 
made. And I'm, I'm thankful for those things because they've made me and my brother who we are today, but it's not been mm-hmm. an easy path, even as, as ones who were at Tagalongs. Yeah. <laughs> while yeah, this definitely. Being made. Yeah. <laughs> when you were, I mean, before, sorry, I was before just going to in, in. I have to tell you both for just a okay. second that you're adorable. Oh. <laughs> because both of you, I've watched both of you. And for anyone listening, you have to go watch it on YouTube now. Yeah. Because for both of you, you're like watching the other one talk with like the most adorable faces of like admiration and pride for each other like I watched as Kathy was talking Jackie's like mom like yeah yeah girl like Mm. it's just the cutest and then Kathy I'm watching your face while Jackie's talking and I can just see you (laughs) beaming with mom pride right now Um, this this is really enjoyable as the therapist side of things to be like oh gosh you guys are such a cute family um (laughs) we have our moment okay so that was just all an aside but as a parent, I love it. as a I parent, love it. when you work in the environment that you work in, especially him, and you come home and you see every possible thing that can go wrong in a, I mean, every, yeah. you know, you freak out. We were, we were freaked out and we would talk yeah. and talk and talk to our kids. Hey, you know, you don't want to do this. You don't want to be in that car, you know smoking marijuana and doing drugs you know what can happen to you you know the always the worst case scenario and i know jackie would always say we were like chicken little the sky is always falling with you guys and it was true but as a responsible parent you just you have to say these things you know it just freaks you out you're just and you're thinking oh my god what if that happens to somebody in my family you know and like I say, we have a good laugh about it now, but going through that at the time, you are terrified. Yeah. You see every horror story on earth and you have to deal with those yeah. things. The hard part is trying to deal with it in yeah. a level, I don't know, like I said, we were always just like, oh, get in here. We're going to have this conference here to tell you what's going to happen if you do these things, yes. you know? <laughs> Really? They were like, oh, do this. Oh my goodness, Lindsay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you're sharing it, I'm like, I do that. Yes. Right. Like I go home, my kids are six and eight. Yeah. And I a hundred percent do that, right? Because like I get all of the stories of victims. Exactly. So I right, I we are weird about what houses we let our kids go to beyond what I think is the average version of weird. We are weird about the conversations we have about how our day has gone. Like, I think other families ask, hey, how was your day? I ask questions like, tell me about your friends today. Who did you play with? What kinds of play did you do? Tell me about your teacher today. Did you feel safe with them? Right? Like, I don't think those are necessarily questions other parents ask, but I don't feel like I can't can't not ask them. Like, it it needs... (laughs) It's settling my own spirit because, oh my goodness, I just listened to three clients today talk about being bullied and harassed and they're now like grown up adults still in my office talking about the impacts of that. So like, how do I make sure my kid is either not being bullied or not being the bully for a future client I'm going to have to serve, right? Like it's hard to not be impacted when we're like inundated with that information. And it is, I think, really, really hard to find ways of doing that. (laughs) it's always like 
developmentally appropriate because we're just panicked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, right. I, oh, I remember. <laughs> I remember. Jackie's like, oh, there's so many <laughs> times. There's so many stories. It's so funny because um, we do laugh about this, but we would sit at the dinner table and like dad would run us through scenarios. And he's like, if someone walks in this door right now, oh my like, gosh, what yeah. and my favorite story, my favorite story to tell my friends is, um, the one time mom's going to remember this where we had like a mock knife fight <laughs> where dad had a spoon and he was like showing us how you did yourself in a knife fight. Amazing. You want to talk about like not your average, like more than normal weirdness. That, is definitely more than that for sure goes like a little next <laughs> yes. level. It's funny because at my house, we like, I think other families have the conversation of we don't hit Mm-hmm. Or, right, like we don't kick, we don't bite, we don't do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, at our house, it's we don't kick our brother, we don't kick our friends. But if there's a bad guy, <laughs> you hit, you kick, you shove your hand as hard as you can yeah. up their nose, like yeah. you bite as hard, like all bets off. And my kids, so anytime that like other grown ups have said, oh, we don't hit our friends. My six-year-old daughter will be like, unless they're a bad guy, and then I can bite them. My mom says. My mom says. That's going to be a phone call later. Behind the Line is sponsored by Beating the Breaking Point. Beating the Breaking Point is a seven-part online training program designed specifically for first responders and frontline workers and tailored to fill the gaps in your training to support resilience and sustainability. Whether you're new to the work and wanting to cultivate tools to prevent burnout, compassion fatigue, and related concerns, or you are deep into your years on the job and have gone a few rounds with burnout and other mental health challenges, this program offers the foundational pieces you need to support personal and professional wellness for the long haul. You are a helper. You love your work and you sacrifice a lot Investing in you and your sustainability is the best gift you can give yourself and those who lean on you. We make this program as risk-free as possible by offering a limited money back guarantee to ensure that it's a fit for you. If you enjoy Behind the Line, you are going to love this program. Google Beating the Breaking Point Lindsay and find everything you need to get started or use the link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. Right. (laughs) You're telling your child what? (laughs) Right? But also, like, that is my sphere. And how do you not? You just can't. You just think, I've got to say this. I just have to. I have to be responsible. I have to warn you. Yeah. And it's just, it worked out well. (laughs) Like, prepare. (laughs) We laugh a lot. I mean, if you've ever been in a knife fight, Jackie, I'm sure you were very well equipped. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> right? One of these days. I feel like very sure that probably if it ever were to happen, you'd probably just burst out laughing and be like, oh my God, my dad totally told me with the spoon. Yeah, <laughs> Hold on a second. It. It, it drives you nuts. He was always digging oh, I your whole life for this. <laughs> Situational awareness. You need to always be aware of things around you. Me. Well, we kind of come past that. You can yeah. relax a little bit, totally. you know, in life. And things aren't always <laughs> as bad as they seem. Yeah. If you stay off the news, <laughs> too. But, yeah, 
we do laugh a lot about our lives. Well, that's the thing, right? And when we are in professions and like environments that really feel like everything is confirmation that the world is as dark and doomy mm-hmm. as we feel like it is, because that's kind of right. Like where he's spending 12 hours a day probably. And right. That's the only input. It does become the only input. And so it becomes like the whole world feels like that, mm-hmm. even if it's not because we're a bit cut off from the parts of the world that aren't to like hold those influences and keep the fact that there is still good stuff in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the stuff that is kids of first responders. You still have all the attachment to the good stuff in the world. And you're like, what is your problem? Yeah. Like you are extreme the other direction. And it's because our attachment is mostly good things. And so it, it like we are, we can feel really detached from seeing each other's perspective in that. I think exactly. You have to absolutely. Uh, You have to connect with that. You have to stay there with that goodness. If you don't, and a lot of, if you notice, they all kind of gather up together. They have this strong bond of brotherhood and they, they're very careful about stepping out of that. And at first when I met, when I got into this and met a lot of different people that worked in police or corrections, I always thought, what is wrong with them? You know, why are they, they are very guarded and very suspicious of everyone or anything Mm -hmm. that comes into that circle. And they're most comfortable around their little group. And trust me, we've had a lot of people out at our house that were corrections and police. And I would just think, wow, you know, I don't know how to help these guys and they are most comfortable and they, they will marry people within that group also. So they rarely step out of it. So i kind of feel like oh I have gosh, insight yeah. because I am yeah. not in the group in that part of that life. And you need mm-hmm. to kind of step out of that, find some activity okay. to get you out of that and see a different side of life. It's very important. Yeah. So Well, and it's funny because I think that one of the things I hear from a lot of first responders is that their kids don't get it, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I often challenge that back with like, but do you get it what it's like for your kids? Like, do you get that for your kids, they like go off to this blissful world you've created for them because you've guarded it so well. Mm -hmm. And you've said, enjoy all of that, but then get that I'm in gross all day. Right. Like that's like a big ask for people who have never had a frame of reference to try to put themselves mentally into your shoes when they've never had anything that even closely resembles that. Mm -hmm. And so it is it's, I think, a tricky thing. I know at our house we do a lot of conversations about, you know, mommy's kind of grumpy today and mommy's grumpy today because mommy had to talk about some hard things that were like really kind of yucky and uncomfortable And so, you know, that's not like a you problem. Mm -hmm. It's just that if you're wondering why mommy's like not so keen to play whatever silly game we're playing today, that's why, right? And so you don't need to know all this stuff and I don't need you to fully get it, but I do need you to get enough that you understand that there's a context for why mommy is the way mommy is right now, rather than just feeling like dad's grumpy all the time and I don't know how to make sense of Mm -hmm. him without just knowing like he's grumpy all the time. That nonverbal... Um, line that's there. I think it is very important to talk about it. We probably did shield our kids a lot, 
we use the, you know, you need to grow up and go to college. You're going to be a correctional officer when you grow up. We kind of use that in a negative way. And I'm not sure that was a good thing to go about doing. But, you know, you don't want to grow up and work in a prison, do you? You know, kind of thing. And I'm not, I think it's important not to shield your children totally to maybe do age appropriate things that they can handle. Because if you don't, and you probably see a lot of this, Mm -hmm. you've got a society that cannot handle things at all. And, you know, life can be tough. Totally. And Mm -hmm. you got to hang in there, figure out a way to get through it. Yeah. What do you think, Jackie? (laughs) It's, I think it's really interesting because, and I don't remember there being a lot of sharing about dad or his work aside from the things that make it funny or weird or unique, Mm -hmm. right? The, oh, look at the the tattoo pen gun that we have or the shank that I found, like those types of things that I feel like people, you know, they're like, Oh, I want to know the story. And so I remember, you know, when I was doing my uh, dissertation research and, and these interviews and looking at dad now that he's stepped away from this career and is retired um, it's really interesting because I feel like he sort of had to shut off from my perspective this mm-hmm. emotional side of himself in order to process what he was seeing at work. And he was so young when he, you know, started in that environment. And, um, you know, he's a very passionate person. I think about dad, he's very passionate about writing, very passionate about speaking yeah. and teaching. And it is so, when I think about it now, like, again, easy to get emotion for me to get emotional because I see him kind of living life and finding um, an area that he's really passionate about, that he really mm-hmm. loves. And he kind of is feels like himself again a little bit. Like this is something that he wants to to share with others and is really devoting his time to it. It makes me really happy to see that because I think he spent a long time, I mean, 30 years, as mom said, really kind of in the thick of it. And uh, this is how I have this is how I have to be in order to manage this job. And I think as hard as you try, as hard as officers try to turn that off when they come home, they just they can't like the things, the same behaviors that mold their, you know, workplace um, attitudes and values. Those things bleed over as much as you want to try and put a, a boundary, you know. And I think it's interesting yeah. to think about that boundary work that is there that they have to kind of. And I've heard them talk a little bit about. Well, I think that's like a primary coping mes- mechanism. If I can keep it separate, if I can just mm-hmm. keep it separate. But there's so much that gets over there, even when you do keep it separate. And um, yeah, it just really shapes who they are. And it was interesting for me to see that from that perspective. Again, again, I kind of said this, but I have such a a deeper understanding of kind of who he is um, and how that job shaped him. And it gives me, I feel like a wealth of compassion for that population in a way that I didn't have before because I just didn't understand. I just didn't understand it. Well, and I think that understanding it is hard. Like I think it, no mm-hmm. matter what version of effort might have looked different mm-hmm. in talking about it, 
differently and no matter what version, like we're still kids, we're still teenagers. Our brains can only kind of like get so much, mm-hmm. but for sure this is like, so um, I have someone that I've worked with that one of the really interesting pieces of feedback was around uh, really that all of a sudden they were experienced in their family as having PTSD. And so like PTSD isn't an instantaneous thing. It's not like you flip a switch and suddenly you have it, like you caught a cold, like it's a gradual exposure generally. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like that repeated exposure to really high stress traumatic material that tends to land us there. But for this person, they had done such a good job, quote unquote, good job, um, of guarding their family from their experience that to the family, the feeling was you went from being fine and yourself to being not fine Mm -hmm. and not yourself. And it did feel like a, a switch was flipped and it didn't feel like there was good understanding for how we got here because you seemed so fine. Mm -hmm. And for the kids in that family, there was a lot of confusion about dad not being okay and how to make sense of this like new version of dad that's not particularly functional a lot of the time and can't communicate well about that. And so we had some discussions where the family came in and we did like info sessions about like, this is what PTSD is. This is what it looks like separate of dad and dad's story. This is just like the general information. Um, And it was super fascinating to see how much more empathy and capacity they had to hold space Mm -hmm. for some of those pieces when there was more information available to them. But one of the interesting things we do is we try to safeguard our families because we want to, of course we do, Mm -hmm. from some of that hard information. And yet when things do take a turn, we suffer that as a family. Like we're all connected to that story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting. I don't, you know, and mom, you've got your perspective. I'm curious on this too. Um, but just as a, I think being able to understand and see now and kind of watching dad's work and what that was like and knowing more, I think would have, I mean, who knows if it would have helped or not. I was still a kid, right? Mm-hmm. But it's uh, knowing what I know now, I feel like there's space there for me to kind of understand. I, I look kind of back at my childhood a little bit differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's just tough. I know. Yeah. Um, I just you just think of the things, and the first thing is a parent. Like I say, you want to protect your child, and I just always yeah. tried to be as honest as possible. We never really talked a lot about his job. We just kind of tried to move on from it. And uh, when you think about your parents. Yeah. I remember, and I have a kind of a story to tell, and it made such an impression on me later in life. And it kind of, I don't know, when you add to it, my parents divorced when I was in high school. And growing up, we had a a very nice, you know, family, a very nice life. And then one day my mom comes home and says, I'm leaving, you know, I'm unhappy. And you're like, you're just, everyone's just totally in shock because no one had any idea. None of that was ever communicated, even though there was those underlying currents there. But as a young child or a young person, 
if you're not careful, you will internalize that and say, well, it's something maybe that I'm doing that's wrong is, and what can I do to make this situation better when actually it's not. And that's why that line of communication is very important for kids. So they do understand maybe, like I said, age appropriate, what they need to know. So they don't think, well, what is wrong here? Is it me? Is there something wrong with me? Why all these things are happening? Is there something wrong with me because he's grumpy? You know, you always have those doubts as a young person. And I don't think that's healthy for our youth. But, you know, we see a lot of unhappy. Well, and Kathy, like, I I also want to honor that. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah, I want to honor Kathy that, like, I, I don't know that there's a, like a manual for this, no, right? there like isn't. how to parent while attached to someone who sees the grossest parts of society and make that okay and child appropriate. And I think about like the timeline, right. Mm-hmm. Um, of when you were parenting, we also had very limited language around mental health. We had very limited language around things like post-traumatic stress, even like, even just in my career over the last 15 years, the last like five to 10 have really been a huge development in understanding post-traumatic stress in first response populations. So like to, to look back now is kind of this like unfair activity, I think, although I think still valuable. So there is some amount of like, I have zero intention of looking back with judgment on your parenting. Cause I think you did an excellent <laughs> job. She seems great. Right. So like winning, But in that, I also think that there's this like really interesting opportunity for us to reflect and go like, man, we really didn't have a lot of helpful setup, right? Like no one trained us in what this job was going to mean, not just for him, but for us. Mm -hmm. No one gave us tools for like how to do that well. And it's not until we see, and we get to have these conversations in hindsight mm-hmm. where we're like, you know, it might've been helpful exactly. if that had happened differently. Exactly. And I think one of the thankful things I have about this series is like, can, can we gift that to a new generation of people that are walking this journey who do have a little bit more language for mental health, who do have a little bit more in terms of tools and supports around some of that? Can we gift them with some of that reflective hindsight in an effort to maybe offer something different to their families, because we get to be this like generational change maker if we choose to be. Exactly. I think it is important. Uh, A lot of people, especially when you're in corrections or police work, they have such huge egos. And when you look at it, it can take you back because you think, man, they're so egotistical. But when you also stop and reflect on that, They have to have that ego there or they couldn't perform the job. I think the trick is to kind of get a balance there because they're not going to say I'm crazy, you know, or I need help because that to them says I'm weak. Mm -hmm. When that's the problem, we've got to get past that because everyone, even though they are so egotistical, you know, everybody needs help. Everybody needs a pat on the back or a lift up sometimes. So it's okay. That's the message you need to get out there yeah. to them. You know, it's, yeah. yeah. yeah sure. 
We've had some arguments I mean, about preach, you know. <laughs> <Kathy>. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, from from like the side of things, I'm also going to say this. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. Oh. Someone's going to email me, but it's fine. <laughs> um, I have yet to have a client who has come from corrections who did not also come from some amount of like really traumatic or unhealthy upbringing. So I feel like there's this really interesting thing that a lot of people who land in corrections and have the stomach to stomach it are people who have already lived quite a lot of like turbulence and have like nervous systems that find that relatively normal, Mm. which really only happens when your childhood has been one that allows that to feel relatively normal. And so the really hard thing is I think that in a lot of ways, corrections is actually at a unique disadvantage um, for certain kinds of mental health issues, because I think that we enlist people um, who walk in the door already with some degree of broken, and we are asking them to do this job that further breaks. And then we're like shocked when the breaking happens. And then the fear is I'm so weak when actually it's been like way too strong for way too long. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Another thing it's to really think about I think, you... is yeah. it's all about a coping mechanism. And we've had this discussion, my husband and I, a lot. <clears throat> and sometimes a very contentious discussion we have had. He is an ignorer. And that, honest yeah. to God, he can ignore some of the things. And I'm like, hello, <laughs> did you, you know, did you see what just happened? And I'm a, I'm a runner. I'm going to flee. And I've thought, I thought about it a lot. Why is he that way? Well, that's the way he's learned to cope as a child. And it just pulled on later into adulthood. You know, if it's too bad, I'll just ignore it. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily face it or deal with it because it doesn't exist, you know? And I don't know. That's just kind of a perspective I have on a 30 year marriage wondered why because I would think sometimes Mm -hmm. did you not just see what happened here he's like what and I'm like didn't you see what was said or (laughs) come on situational awareness where is that (laughs) I don't know why you just ignore things okay it's just a difference there so yeah what do you think Jackie (laughs) when I was doing some of my Oh, sorry. Well, I so when I was doing some of my interviews with um, officers, it there was a little bit of that, what you're talking about, Lindsay, not necessarily we didn't get into childhood, but even just former occupations coming from the military, mm-hmm. coming from, um, you know, having a difficult upbringing and that this being a job, like mom said, that had pay, that had benefits, that was... Yeah. A level of security and it's interesting you know we've talked so much about what it was like to go down this path for this choice for mom and dad especially I feel like everything that I saw my parents do and this is my perspective now as an adult mm. but was to give that better life for their kids yeah. Both of them, and mom, you can correct me if I'm stepping out of line here, but I feel like both my mom and dad came from had their difficulties in their childhood and I think had were searching for 
a way to make that better for their children. And so this career, which had its, um, has its drawbacks, as we've talked about, was an opportunity for them to kind of, and almost feel like scratch their way to the top to create this better life for their kids. And, and now we have it. And that's a wonderful and amazing thing. But then you think too about the, it did structure so much of our family communication, exactly like what mom was saying. It was not a choice. You were going to go to college because you didn't want, you know, this job. You did not want, um, you know, this life. And you were going to be careful about this, this, and this. And dad would talk about it. He's like, as a, as the tracks, you got to stay on the tracks. And Mm -hmm. if you get off the tracks, who knows what's going to happen to you? (laughs) We can laugh about it now um, because it is a little funny, but it was very much, uh, (laughs) it structured everything that we did. And as a child, you know, I remember thinking, why can't, why can't he relax? Why can't he have a good time? Why can't he experience things the way I experience them? Why can't he find joy in this? Or why can't he find pride in this? And I think that um, it always felt like the next thing, like, okay. And that kind of drives a little bit of my achievement. I really think it does. I know that um, it's like everything I am is my parents' fault. It's a good thing, mom and dad. I, <laughs> I mean, promise. It's trade-offs, right? It's <laughs> true. Sometimes it's like the best parts of us, but also the worst parts of us yeah. are the same yeah. part of us. Yeah, they are part of it. Like you know, yeah. it drove this achievement. Um, you know, this desire to I've got to yeah. do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and I'm going to yeah. do better. And um. Yeah, I think that that was very much connected to the job that he had, to the choices that they made, mm-hmm. to the family that they built for us. And um, it's interesting to reflect back on it now, you know, in terms of being the generational change maker of giving advice, you know, I think it's okay. I know we've talked to age appropriate, but, you know, let your kids see who you are, mm-hmm. you know, let them see pieces of you. And I think that's hard easier said than done because I think that this job does require a little bit of how I, how can I shut off my humanity almost? Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a little bit of that. Like you have to be so buttoned up in that profession. You've got to play it close to the chest. You have to be professional. You have to manage your emotions. You have to make sure that people don't think you're, you're weak or else, you know, bad things are going to happen to you. And, so it's easy. I think it's difficult when you walk outside to show yourself. And I know dad's talked about before, just having a different sense of experiencing emotion differently. I remember that kind of being a theme sort of when I was talking to officers as well. But, you know, if you can show that piece of yourself to your to your kids, and even if that is not a bright and shiny thing that you're showing them, I think that children are far more resilient than we give them credit for. And I think it gives them an opportunity to see, you know, oh, oh. And I think you've even talked about it, Lindsay, when you're like, when mommy feels this way because of this, this, and this. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think we have to learn how in our lives to deal with and recognize and account for negative emotions and when we are having a difficult day and when we are having a difficult time and when there are things that we have to learn to cope with that we don't understand 
I think that's a part of growing up, right? And that's an opportunity there to kind of share with your children a little bit about who you are and how you manage those things, but then to recognize that there are some things. I'm not sure I understand. Apparently my watch is talking, is listening to us. Sorry. <laughs> um, it's okay. <laughs> We're all awake now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's an interesting thing, you know, show your kids yeah. who you yes. who you are a little bit of who you are. Very good point. Yeah. You do I have to that. learn. Well, and I think, I mean, not even just specific, not sorry, Kathy, not even just specific to first responders or corrections. Like I think about my dad and he wasn't any of those things. He's like a computer consultant, but he all like, right. Like I think generationally there are some Mm -hmm. pieces here, um, gender normative pieces around stereotypes we have for what it means to be like a man's man Mm -hmm. and all of that junk. Um, So like, I think that there's like a lot of nuance in how we're informed in some of these pieces, but for sure, when you're in a job that further encourages this piece about really guarding and like hunkering down um, what you're influenced by, it makes it that much harder Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, I'm aware of our time and we do need to move towards wrapping up in the next little bit here. So I'm curious if there's any kind of final thoughts that you, either of you want to share um, Jackie, I wonder a little bit if there's anything more about some of your research that you would like to share. We will um, link to to anything that feels kind of meaningful to be able to link to in the show notes so people will be able to find out more about you and your work there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, Mom, do you want to go first before I inevitably get on a soapbox? I really, <laughs> I really to am just wanting to say thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity. I hope I can uh, give some insight and help someone, you know, maybe navigate through all of these things. And that's about all I have to say at this point. So Jackie, go ahead. (laughs) Thanks, Kathy. I want to say thank you first before, before we jump over to Jackie, because Kathy, I think you, I think you nailed it. I think you did such a great job. (laughs) And I'm so excited for um, people to listen to what you shared, because I think it's really meaningful. I hope so. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. All right, Jackie, soapbox. <laughs> yes, very short, my soapbox. I feel like I've talked a lot about, I mean, my, my perspective is informed by my research. And so you've already heard a little bit about it today. But I'm, you know, I've published a couple of pieces on especially the employee assistance program and um, how officers talk about their mental health or more specifically do not talk about uh-huh. their mental health especially at work, um, and how that sort of informs whether or not they're willing to seek help from resources uh, that are there, you know, to help them. And I know there's been a movement among the Bureau to really make those resources more available, to talk about them more, to tell officers how to access them. But, um, you know, just because those types of policies are there and in place and there's training about it doesn't mean that this population, because of some of the things we've talked about today, is going to feel like it's a a resource that they can actually step out and use. Uh, so my research looks a little bit at that. It looks a little bit at um, kind of norms of this kind of, like you had mentioned, like um, the man's man and the weakness, like mm-hmm. the strength. I look a little bit at that in my research too, this kind of idea of, oh my goodness, well, if I 
say this or if I say that or if I feel an emotion, then that's weakness and weakness is is the absolute last thing that I can possibly portray in this particular environment. And so I look at that a little bit and talk about that. And so both, I think I sent you both of those pieces. I've got another one that's in the works right now that talks a little bit about some of the same types of things, but I feel like it's all trying to shed some awareness on the impacts of this job on this population, you know, and that's where I was very excited to be able to even come in here and talk with you, Lindsay Bate, because I know that's the heart of where your work is at. And I am super passionate about that as well. And dad's been doing some of that work just to bring, just to bring awareness, just to talk about it. Like there are things that don't need to be hidden in the dark about how, you know, this job impacts the people who do it. And I think shedding light on that and saying thank you. And, and also here are things that, you know, you can do and that are very normal as a result of doing this is really important. So Anyway, I, I will keep it short at that, but happy. Such a to- good soapbox. I would invite you back on it anytime because I feel like it's the same one I hop on a lot. <laughs> it's a very tall soapbox. Right? There's a lot of stairs. Um, it's awesome. Well, thank you so much to both of you for taking the time. I know this was really hard to kind of coordinate between three schedules and time zones and things. And I just so appreciate both of you and and the opportunity to get to hear a little bit more about each of your stories and your family's story. And I love your family. And if ever I'm in Missouri, I would like to come. And yes, join definitely. It dinner, please, because you all sound so lovely. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't all know right. if I did that far, but thank you. All right. Please join me in extending one more big thank you to both Kathy and Jackie for taking the time and sharing their journeys and experiences today. You can learn more about Jackie's research in the show notes, and I've included a link to the Prison Officer podcast, so go check that out too. As we wrap up today, let me remind you that if you value this podcast and want to help us in our mission to support frontline wellness, there are three ways that you can do just that. Number one, rate and review behind the line on Apple podcast or wherever you're listening. Number two, follow me on social media at Lindsay A. Foss and engage with me and this amazing little community that we're building there. Every time you like, comment, and share our posts, you help us spread like wildfire thanks to the magic of the algorithm. And last but not least, share this resource and our other resources with those you know. If you would like a poster or info cards about the podcast for your workplace, send me an email to support at thrive-life.ca. Know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. We make all of our resources available to you because the work you do matters. But more than that, you matter. And we want to make sure you have what you need to keep up the good work at work, as well as in your real life outside of the work. So use it and share it. And until next time, stay safe.